Our Old Testament reading this morning is a responsive reading from the 103rd Psalm. Please join with me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is on the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and give His righteousness to children's children. To those the New Testament reading this morning is from the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in the 54th verse, and it's located on page 883 of your pew Bibles. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. God. Let's return to the scripture in Luke, Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 54 that we read with Blake just a few moments ago. We have been in the gospel of Luke for a long time. We've gone line by line, scene by scene. But there's no part of Luke, no part of the gospel, I think that is more intense, filled with more pathos uh, than what we've seen in Luke 21 and 22 and continue to see in 23. Think with me just before we, we pray about this, that we, the disciples were together in the upper room um, for the Passover meal, where Jesus introduced the first Lord's Supper. And it was just the 12. And it was intense. Jesus talked about, in that room, he talked about how 
he would be betrayed, that one of his disciples was a traitor. And there were, we stayed in that upper room for several weeks looking at all that happened and what it meant. And then we looked at the disciples, the scene moved from the upper room to Gethsemane, where you see the passion of Jesus saying in this prayer, take this cup from me. Last week we looked at all that that meant. But now they had been together uh, on that evening from the supper they had together in the upper room. It was just the disciples, just the 12. And then in Gethsemane, it was the same thing, just the 12. And then the world invaded. They came to arrest Jesus. They came to do harm. They came to kill him. They came to arrest the gospel. We looked at that last week. And then the last verse in that section, in, in verse 53, Jesus looks at, looks at the people who have come to arrest him. And he says this, but this is your hour. When darkness reigns. Wow. It's a powerful statement. Imagine Jesus looking at the world and saying, this is your hour. Looking at Satan, this is your hour. When darkness reigns. Sometimes we feel like we're in times like this. But Jesus said it of that time. And you must realize then that was not a general statement. He was saying that about all that would happen in the next few hours, in the next day. And so everything that comes after that is under the heading, when darkness reigns. This morning, we, Peter, in the courtyard, where this mock trial is taking place. A trial that's a mockery was taking place. It was absurd. And we're looking at one of his disciples inside of that atmosphere when darkness reigns. Before we look at that, let's pray together and ask that Jesus who was there in that courtyard and who's here this morning, let's ask him to teach us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you on this special day. We thank you for the men and husbands and fathers of Christ Presbyterian. Our Father, some of us have come before you in celebration and in thanksgiving for the fathers you gave us who are now home in glory. Oh, Father, we thank you for them. We pray that you would cause the fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers who are here now to be the model that our fathers, these godly men, were to us. Our Father, we know there's some that did not have those kind of fathers. 
We pray in that case that you would cause us to start a new lineage. Our Father, cause us to be men who protect, care for, and cherish their wives. Cause us to be models of what it means to be a man, models for our sons to follow, models for our daughters to marry. Cause us to resist our culture's intention to make men into women and women into men. Oh, Father, may we be men of faith who lead their families into a relationship with you. May we be fathers who constantly pray for our families and have the humility to confess our sins so that our children will see our integrity in our repentance. Our Father, we continue to pray that you would raise a generation, a powerful generation, out of Christ's Presbyterian, such as Fayette County has never seen. And now as we open your word, our Father, we pray that you would teach us. We know that John Sartell cannot teach so that it will make any difference in our lives. He cannot, any man who stands behind this desk cannot change our hearts cannot change us in the very core of our being when we pray this morning that we will hear your voice so clearly this morning. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that that change that you started years ago in us will be continued. And Father, that change might begin in some of us, but it's only by your power. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. What does Jesus do with our perfidy? The first question some of you ask is, what is perfidy? Perfidy. It's a word that denotes unfaithfulness. It denotes disloyalty. It comes from the Latin word perfidus. The Latin word is made up of two words, per, beyond, and fides, faith, beyond faith. It's, you know, when, they, when you move outside of faith, when, there's, when, when everything becomes faithless, it's not a word that you would use about contracts signed contracts and legal documents. That's not what this is about. Perfidy usually refers to unfaithfulness, to disloyalty between people in real relationships. What if you are with a friend, someone that you're supposed to be a friend, have been a friend for years, and you consider them to be one of your best friends. But one day, one evening, you're with that friend, and you're inside a crowd that he knows well that you do not know that well, but what you don't, what you do know about the crowd is that you're sort of estranged from them. They don't think you're on their social level. They don't think you're on their educational level. They don't think you're on your economic level. And your friend is there with you. But he blends in with this crowd. And he actually pretends that he doesn't know you. Perhaps you've been in this situation. I have. And it, it's like he, you're just not there. 
What, what do you do with that? If you're like me, you'll say, well, he didn't prove to be much of a friend. And you don't have anything more to do with that person. That's perfidy. That's what we read this morning in this passage. That's what happened to Jesus. And so the question is, how does Jesus deal with Peter's perfidy? How does Jesus deal with our perfidy? That's the question. Let's look at this scene. First, I want you to see a prophetic perception. Remember in verse 34, we looked at this when they were leaving the upper room and the disciples were swearing, all of them swearing, we're going to be faithful. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you even know me. That was in verse 34. The point is that Jesus already knew Peter was going to fail him. He was not just making a, a general statement. You know, we sometimes say we're sinners. This is not a general statement about Peter's sin. He was saying, Peter, this is specifically what you're going to do. What you just now said you would not do, you're going to do, and you're going to do it three times. It was a, a prophetic perception by Jesus. Every time I pray, every time I worship in this sanctuary, every time I meet with Christ, no matter what glorious experience I have, no matter what I learn, it bothers me in that place that Jesus could tell me, and if you don't know this about yourself, you do not understand Jesus and you don't understand your sin. As we sit here today, we've enjoyed this worship. We've enjoyed this time being with each other and being with the Lord. But Jesus right now could point to each one of us and tell us our sins in the next six hours, for the next 24 hours. Right now, Jesus could tell me how I will fail him this afternoon. Listen to Romans 5.8. It's on your scripture sheet. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. How does God show you that he loves you? How's, what's the ultimate way? I mean, we could name he's given me a home, he's given me cars, given family. But what does he say? This is the one way you can know. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did not die for us when we proved to be deserving. He died for us when we were lost in our sin. Think about it. You know, Jesus was in the courtroom. He was in the courtyard. Excuse me, not the courtroom. The courtyard. That courtyard was a courtroom that night. He was in the courtyard with Peter. He heard everything Peter said. Do you realize that when he went to the cross on Friday, when he went to the cross, the last words he had heard from Peter was a curse and saying, I don't even know the man. That's what he had heard from the man who was a leader of his disciples. What did he do? Say, <laughs> that's Peter. If he's the best, uh, you know, we're just not going to do the cross. When we stood at the altar and swore allegiance to Jesus, he knew as soon as we left that altar, we would sin again. That's the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. 
a prophetic perception. The profound truth is this, that Jesus already knew what Peter was going to do. A prophetic perception. Next, I want us to see a deceptive denial. A denial that that is deceiving to ourselves. A deceptive denial. Look at verse 56. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with you. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. There's something right in front of us here that we usually don't mention. How did Peter not realize what he was doing? I mean, Peter's intelligent. Why didn't Peter realize it? I mean, he didn't deny him one time. He denied him three times. Wouldn't you think that after he said, I don't know the man the first time, he would have remembered what Jesus said and said, man, I can't believe I did that. And look at verse 59. It says, about an hour later, this was not something that took place over a 15-minute period. An hour, maybe two hours passed. Why didn't he realize exactly what he was doing? The answer is not that difficult. We do the same thing and we don't see it either because our denials can be so deceptive. Think about it. Peter was in a dangerous situation. He was in the enemy camp. This was when darkness reigns. This place was tense. We read in John 18.15, that another disciple was with Peter. It was the apostle John. John knew someone in the high priest's family. And so he got Peter in. Peter was undercover. He wasn't walking in there and saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I want in. I want to testify. No. He was being deceptive. Undercover. That's understandable to us. Would we not expect that he would deny his real identity? That's what Peter thought. He was denying his identity to stay close, but here's the point. He was not denying his identity to stand with Jesus. To say, I'm with him. And stand with him when Jesus was the question. He didn't stand and say, you guys got this wrong. You do not understand. Were you not there when he made blind people see and deaf people hear? He could have testified exactly opposite of the testimony that was happening. We do the same thing out in the world. It's so subtle. We hide our identity. I do, I do it as a minister. We hide our identity as Christians, as followers of Christ. Because we're fearful, especially when evil reigns, especially when it gets so dark. And we think, I, I can't make a difference here. Or we think, you know, I would lose, I would lose face with my friends. And after all, when this is done, I want to have a witness in the world. And, and, and if, if I remain silent, 
Maybe down the road I can have an effect on this. We don't go and stand with him because the world might stop listening to us. Where does the line get crossed? We're to be in the world. A lot of Christians answer, and some of us answer this. People in this room will answer this way. Well, let's just go to the convent. Let's just go isolate ourselves. Well, Jesus said you can't do that. He sent his disciples into the world. What did he say? You're salt and light in this world. The world's rotting and you're salt to that rottenness. You go out, there's darkness in the world. Darkness is reigning here. You shine your light. So the answer is not that we go have flashlight parties with each other and shine our lights. It's not the answer. We're to be out in the world. And sometimes there's a time to be silent. Scripture, New Testament tells us to be wise in what we say and when we say it. But when he is the issue, when he is the issue, we have brothers and sisters in Christ this very day who will die because they are in situations where Christ is the issue. And they won't be put in prison. Some will. But there'll be people die this day because they're standing and they're not being silent when the issue is Jesus Christ. Someone has said, and I don't know who said it, but I wrote it down and <laughs> wrote it down years ago and I didn't write down. Who said it? The world does not so much take away our faith as we do hide our faith. And we don't even realize that we're doing it. That's what happened to Peter. There was a test in a university a few years ago. It was really interesting. I loved reading about it. That they, they chose 10 students and they would put them in, the, in this room. Told them it was going to be a test. And they drew three lines. They would draw three lines on the board. One very short line, one a little bit longer, and then one longer. When the professor pointed to the longest line, the students were to raise their hand. And they did this in segments of ten students. Ten students would be in the room. But what they did not tell everyone, they told nine of the students, don't raise your hand when the professor points to the longest line. Raise your hand when he points to the second longest line. And with each group of 10 students, there was one student that didn't know that. So the professor would point to the longest line. And the one student would raise his hand. But, and he'd look around and see that nine did not. Do you know what happened? 75% of the time 75 percent of the time that one student would pull his hand in and then when he professor pointed to the second longest line the nine would raise their hand and he'd raise his hand there's only 25 percent that would raise their hand and stick with it against the nine it was concluded the researchers concluded that many would rather be president than to be right Peter was in a place where he was outvoted. 
And he was not about to stand. A prophetic perception. A deceptive denial. One that's easy, easier to do. Don't look at Peter and say, I would never do that because we do it. Most of us do it every week. Thirdly, I want you to see a pervasive presence in verse 60. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord, and then in verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus was right there in the courtyard. He heard Peter do this. Turned and looked at him. Peter didn't have to go and confess his sin. Jesus already knew it. But you know what? Jesus does that with our sin. We don't go confess to confess. We don't go confess our sin to Jesus because he doesn't know it. <laughs> he knows our sins better than we do. Every time you pray, you can go and can say, Lord, you know that I did this. I'm coming and confessing it. I'm not trying to hide it. And you know more about what I've done than I do. You, you know, you could sit and talk to me. That's not all you get. He saw it. We slip into this sometimes. Somehow we think we can hide as we hide our sins from the world around us. We think we can hide it. From Jesus. It's not that way. You want to say, Peter, don't you realize Jesus is standing right there? Your best friend is standing right there? And, hear, and heard you say this? You know, when we talk about great tragedies now, I've experienced this. All of us experienced tragedies. And I've experienced the Lord being there in the midst of those tragedies. 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 In the, midst, in the midst of them. And you can see the presence of the Lord. You can see he's not going to change. The tragedy took place. But you could see his hand in it. And you can see that he had the people there that you needed. And we often say, don't we? What, what a great comfort it is that the Lord shows up on the scene before we do. Well, that's also true for our sin. Do you like pornographic literature? The Lord is there with you when you read it. Are you stealing from the company? The Lord is there with every dollar you take. You having an affair with your neighbor's wife? The Lord's there with you. When we confess our sin, we're not disclosing information that he does not have. Why do we confess? For our good. For our good. To raise our hand... That's when we realize the extent of the sin inside of us. That's when we realize the extent of God's grace. A prophetic perception, a deceptive denial, a prophetic presence. Fourthly, I want you to see a revealing recognition. Peter finally realized it. When the Lord looked at him, he heard the rooster crow and the Lord looked at him and he looked at Jesus and he went out and he wept. He was the one who had made the prideful presumption, I will never, ever, ever desert you. And he had just done it. In his self-confidence, he did not understand the extent of his weakness, but now he did. He was not the man he thought he was. He was not the man he said he was. And he didn't like what he saw. 
Blaise Pascal was a brilliant French mathematician, philosopher, and Christian. Much of what he wrote, he was such a genius, I can't understand, even though he's speaking about God. But I did understand this. It's a quote that I keep. Quote, God is none other than the savior of our wretchedness. So we can only know God well by knowing our wretchedness, by knowing our iniquities. Those who have known God without knowing their wretchedness have not glorified him, but have glorified themselves. Those are the Pharisees. Do you understand what he's saying? When you really understand your sin, you understand your wretchedness. You don't walk in, you, you, you don't ever go to the, become, when you realize that, when you really see your sin, you do not walk into the tabernacle or temple like the Pharisee and said, Lord, look, look how good I am. Just look how great I am. Never. Most of the time for the three years, Peter had thought of himself worthy of Jesus' call. I can do this. He was the first to say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Sometimes when we hear, see the depth of our sin and, and hear about grace. We think, well, if I preach that, if I say that, it's going to become a license to just go out and sin. I can go sin. I can go deny Christ and say, well, I'm forgiven. That's not what happened with Peter. What did we read? Peter went out and he wept bitterly. That's the last time one of us wept bitterly about our sin. Wept bitterly. That's what happens when we become well acquainted with our perfidy, with our disloyalty. Peter had been unfaithful, disloyal to his friend. And sin and grace did not, the grace did not lead him into license, but a revealing recognition of who he was, a prophetic perception, deceptive denial, a, pers a persuasive Presence, a revealing recognition. And finally, and this is the best part. If you slept through the first, wake up. This is the best right here. What does Jesus do with our perfidy? What does he do with it? Look at Matthew 26, 31 on your scripture sheet. This is beautiful. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now stop right there. Stop reading right there. What he says next, he has said to the disciples, you're all going to forsake me. This is when he is telling Peter he's going to deny. Him. And he's saying it's not going to be Peter. It's going to be all of you. All of you are going to run for your lives. But look what he says. But after, right in the middle of that, right in the middle of saying you're going to prove unfaithful. You're going to practice perfidy. 
you're going to deny me. You're going to run to save your own skins. But after I'm raised up, I'll find every one of you and make your pay. That's not what he said. What does he say? But after I'm raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. Where was Galilee? Galilee was their home. Galilee was, was where home was. was where you wanted to go. I'll meet you, I'll meet you at your homes. I'll meet you back where we all grew up. He was saying, you're going to deny me. But I'll meet you in Galilee. Even though you disown me, even though you desert me to save your own skins, I'll meet you. And then when he was raised in Mark, Mark records this in Mark 16, 7. The, the angel tells the women, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Isn't that beautiful? Go tell his disciples. But why did he add Peter? Peter, because Peter had been the one. The last words he had heard was, I don't even know the man. You go tell Peter. I'll meet you, Peter, in Galilee. In John 21, we read where Jesus met Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two other disciples of Peter for breakfast on the shore in Galilee. They had been fishing all night, the disciples had, and caught nothing. Jesus called to them from the shore and told them where to put their nets. He had done it right at the beginning of his ministry. And they hauled in a huge, large catch that morning. And they immediately said, that's Jesus. And they got to shore as quickly as they could. And they got there. There stood Jesus. Now, they didn't do this. When they stepped out of the boat onto the shore, there was a fire already there. And there was breakfast already there. The fish laid out. In Luke twenty-two fifty-five, when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. When evil was raining, they started a fire in the courtyard to keep warm. And Peter sat down by that fire. When he walked out on shore, there was Jesus. Same Jesus had been in the courtyard with him. And there was a fire. And seated beside that fire, Jesus looked at Peter and said, do you love me? Imagine. How sweet is that? He knew Peter loved him. Peter, do you love me? Peter knew. We're not reading anything into it. Luke took time to talk about the fire. He denied him by the fire, and Jesus lights the fire to his name. Let's go over this one more time. And then they had breakfast. That's what he did with Peter's perfect. That's what he does with ours. But Lord, you don't know what I've done. Yes, I do. I could have told you before you did it. But I'll meet you at the table. You come and sit at my table and eat with me. And I'll meet you there.
Think about it. Every time we sin. He says, come back to the table. Come back to the table. Amen.